Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report. It is, what, Wednesday the 27th of July. Dom Knight back on the podcast. Charles Faith here as well. And our guest today, Associate Professor David Smith of the US Study Centre at Sydney University. Tell us just how broken America is and Mm. will become. So it's going to be a cheery episode. David, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. This is actually my first podcast of the year. Not of the new financial year of 2022. So I'm touched. I'm a bit out of practice. I've been trying to get back into practice by listening to the Chaser Report. So uh, uh, I do apologise for the last few weeks of, of Chaser Report from the pub. I, I didn't listen to those ones. Yeah, no, no, I don't think anyone did. So we're back in the studio. Um, so that means that you've been allowed not to do your three hour long weekly podcast with Chaz for the past year. <laughs> That, I believe, is coming back shortly because uh, that podcast happens while the Planet America show is happening. And Planet America actually started again last week. So I have actually been in discussions with Chaz about rebooting uh, Pep. So that... Do you get most that of your sense. information about America just from that TV show? Like, is, is that how you do it and just dress it up <laughs> with a few footnotes and then pass it off as your own? Uh, it is It is not. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it, well, you, would, you would have a very interesting and idiosyncratic view of America if that's where yes, you're getting you all Because all of the things Chaz knows mm. come from blogs. It's his, yes. he, know, he reads every blog. Yes. Yeah, I understand, yeah. But nothing longer than a couple of hundred words. So, it's a, so this is, if you don't know the podcast, it's called Pep uh, with Chaz and Dr. David. He hasn't, he's not across your promotion, by the way, David. But nevertheless, it's very long, very detailed. I've enjoyed the very few that I've managed to find time to listen to. But um, it's it's one for the fans. Uh, let's just well, say that. Yeah. Well, if, if we go any shorter than two hours, we get, like, angry emails and comments from <laughs> our, from the, the Peppers uh, saying, look, we, you know, why aren't you going into as much detail mm. as, as you used to? So. Well, we've, we've, um, yes, uh, Chaz has managed to create an international community of fellow Chazers in order to <laughs> bring it together. So we'll get into the latest in US politics in just a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Chaser Report. News a few days after it happens. All right, David. So let's start with January 6th. Revelation upon revelation, uh, really. They've had, Mm -hmm. I think, what, eight hearings? And each one of them had bombshells packaged for television, um, making a pretty pretty compelling case that Donald Trump planned the coup, didn't stop the coup, among other things. Mm. What does it all mean, though, at this point in the process, is it going to move the needle at all on derailing his attempt to become president again and get immune from any consequences for all of this? I think it actually does hurt him at the margins pretty significantly. So even though polling seems to show that Republicans haven't changed their views on January 6th at all, 
uh, that Trump remains a popular figure within the Republican Party. Mm. The polling about whether Republicans think that Trump should be their next candidate has actually changed significantly over the last few months. And increasingly, I don't know that Republicans are abandoning Trump, but increasing numbers of them seem to think that he actually can't win again, that he's just not a good bet uh, for the 2024 election. And certainly a lot of them wish that he would just shut up about <laughs> 2020. I love the cognitive dissonance of he did, he did win last time and was robbed. They accept that, but next time, yeah. no. It's not possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if, if we look at the 2022 midterm elections, I mean, it would be historically extraordinary if Republicans actually lost those elections, given that Democrats have some of the narrowest margins in history, mm. margin of about five seats in the House of Representatives, reliant on the vice president's tie-breaking vote in the Senate. Uh, you would think that it would be almost impossible for Democrats to defend that. The last time that any party managed to increase its majority at midterm elections was Republicans in 2002, mm. and that was when there was a big rally around the flag effect after 9-11. Mm. So you'd think that Democrats are doomed to lose the midterm elections, especially with Biden's approval ratings being so low and inflation and economic problems being so high. But then you've got this, first of all, wild card of the Supreme Court handing down its decisions on guns and the EPA and especially abortion, which has suddenly made that a major issue of uh, 2022. And Republicans seem to realise that's not something that's going to help them. And then you've got Trump, who just wants the main issue all the time to be uh, the 2020 election. And Republicans realise that they are not going to be able to fight a winning campaign based on the 2020 election. So I think a lot of even Republicans who like Trump would quietly wish that he would go away. And what the uh, January 6th hearings are doing, I think, is reinforcing the idea that at the margins, Trump is actually hurting them. Given that they lost the 2020 election, uh, at the hands of people who voted for Republicans in Congress but couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump. That means the Republicans understand Trump is becoming more and more of a liability mm. for them. And I think that that is what the, uh, what the January 6th hearings are bringing home. So even though, in some sense, it's not really changing anyone's mind about mm. the basic picture of American politics, it is hammering home the message that, uh, you know, Trump is unviable. How unviable is it? Like, my understanding of the polls is he's gone down from yeah. sort of 70 or 80% of Republicans mm. supporting him to, to more like sort of 60%. And, you know, the, the next nearest person is Ron DeSantis, isn't it? And he's, he's on about yeah. 15 or 16%. Well, well, let's just be clear that when something is non-viable, Republicans still think you've got to stick with it for the full term. <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I saw a poll, I think it was in the uh, New York Times, good one, Tom. that just under 50% or something like that, just, I think, uh, uh, just below 50%, no longer want Trump to be the candidate, but mm. then the next one, yeah, yeah. DeSantis was like twenty five percent or something. So, so the majority I mean, are saying no. Is that right? Is that what you're hearing, David? Um, no, I mean, it's, so yeah, it's it's around sort of the fifty percent of Republicans mm. now no longer think mm. that he should uh, be the candidate. And once again, that's a I, I think for a lot of Republicans, that's a purely strategic thing. It's not that they don't like him or that they don't want him 
it's that they think that <laughs> he's a great guy. You know, he's, he's a great guy. He's just, great personality. He's just, yeah. he's just used goods. Yeah. Just spit soil. Yeah. I, I don't think it would be impossible for Trump to win the next election. Mm. Uh, given he go where Biden use all his money to bully everyone out of like, doesn't he yeah. play a, a really gung ho primary game as well? Oh, he does. And what Trump has that nobody else has is religious standing within the Republican Party. Mm. Like they're pe- people who seriously believe that he is doing God's will. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of Republicans who like Ron DeSantis, but they don't see him in those same kinds of religious terms. So, yeah, Trump is always going to have a really hardcore following of people who will not abandon him under any circumstances. So, can I just ask about that, Dave? Because I know you look particularly yeah. at religion within your um, yes. your academic life. Are you saying this is yeah. the idea that that somehow Trump is the manifest tool of, of God? Who seems to move in extremely mysterious ways, if that's the case. So he's yeah, well, he, he's actually this is, sort of supernaturally gifted by God, um, mm. even though he doesn't seem like a particularly religious person, shall we say? What with <laughs> well, what with everything, really? Yeah, ever since the twenty sixteen election, when a lot more conservatives were uncertain about Trump, there was this religious discourse about how God has always used highly imperfect figures mm. to accomplish his will. And the biblical figure he is most often likened to is King Cyrus of the Persians, oh. who was a pagan king, nonetheless helped God to protect God's people, the Jews, and was responsible for building the temple in Jerusalem. And then there are various other biblical figures like King David, who's a far from perfect figure, uh, but who nonetheless is considered an instrument of God. So there was this whole idea that, sure, Trump is not perfect, Trump is a sinner, Trump is only marginally a Christian at best, but nonetheless he is the instrument of God in a way that a lot of Christian leaders were not. I mean, a lot of Republicans by the time Trump came along felt that, devoutly Christian leaders had basically got them nowhere, that they had lost Mm. battle after battle in the culture wars, and that, if anything, their own leaders were kind of too beholden to Christian morality, whereas Trump was not constrained by any kind of morality at all. And that's who you want if you actually want Mm. to win a fight. You want a warrior, not a Sunday school teacher. Gosh, you can find anything in the Bible, can't you? You really can't just justify anything you like. What do they make of, Ru- well, of Rudy Giuliani? Is he somehow, the like, Bible, they must love him. The Bible famously yeah, look, talks about how the ends justify the means, Dom. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bible is a huge and multi-vocal document. So, yes, it is It is true that there are many things that you can uh, you can find. And yea, yes. the Lord said, yes. send my representative to outside Four Seasons Total Landscaping <laughs> to give a press conference but, next to a dildo shop. But, but uh, I must uh, disagree with you again there, David, because I noticed that God yes. has actually moved against Donald Trump in the last few days because Rupert Murdoch mm-hmm. has stopped supporting Donald Trump. He came out in the New York Post. The, the New York Post came out against mm. Donald Trump, and then the uh, Wall Street Journal. Yes, also came. So I think God has actually started yeah. deciding that maybe Trump's not this, the be all and end all. Uh, well, okay, L- let's leaving God out of this for a second, because frankly, he gets dragged into far too many discussions about uh, U.S. politics. This reflects once again changing judgments in the Republican Party 
about whether Trump is viable. Mm. Can I just point out how ironic it is that at the very moment when Rupert Murdoch stopped being able to influence elections, <laughs> like he, he lost Morrison, mm. he's lost Johnson, now he comes out against Trump a few weeks into complete impotence mm. politically. Yeah, and look, Ron DeSantis is the one that people like Murdoch really want, right? right? He's a far more focused uh, culture warrior than Trump ever was. And he doesn't have the kind of um, embarrassing idiosyncrasies that uh, that Trump always had, that even a lot of his supporters acknowledged that he had. But the problem is that, you know, Trump, at least in 2016, he genuinely had appeal beyond the Republican Party. And he wouldn't have won that election without a critically important slice of non-Republicans voting for him, even though it was, you know, 90% of the people who voted for Trump in 2016 would have voted for Bush in 2004. Nonetheless, he did have this appeal that went beyond the Republican Party that was related to his personal name recognition, his personal charisma, the fact that he was, you know, he was the one politician who could really claim not to be a politician. Mm. Someone like Ron DeSantis, yes, he's preferred by the Murdochs of the world because he's a far more focused uh, culture warrior, but um, he doesn't have that same kind of appeal outside of right-wing circles. With Trump, the three states, like the three blue states, one of them was Ohio where yeah, yeah, 70,000 yeah. votes of um, yeah. non-college educated men went to Trump and swung the election. You think those kinds yeah. of voters, I can't remember which states they were, I'm sure you do, those sorts of voters are not going to go Team DeSantis necessarily. Yeah, so this is so Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Yeah, not Ohio. Um, as, as well as the other, well, I don't know, as well as other mar- marginal states like uh, Nevada. Yeah, North Carolina. I think Ohio seems to have actually gone definitively to the to the right. I think that's going to be a, a red state for quite a while. Um, yeah, it's the the question is, can Ron DeSantis actually motivate these people to vote in the way that Trump did? Trump had a lot of people convinced that he was something genuinely different. He was Trump was also very entertaining. That's something that we can never discount. Um, certainly for your real hardcore right-wing culture warriors, DeSantis is all that and more. DeSantis is like a coherent version of Trump. DeSantis is someone who won't allow his own ego necessarily to actually get in the way of the political task. But to people who aren't sort of politically obsessive in that way, I'm not sure that DeSantis is going to have the same appeal I'm not sure that he'll be able to drive turnout um, in the same way, but we'll see. So can you run through some of the things that Ron DeSantis has done in Florida? Because I I know I'm aware of the don't say gay thing. You you said gay. (laughs) Which which was to do with not saying gay in schools or something, wasn't it? But what else has he done? Well, okay, just starting, what actually really brought DeSantis to prominence in right-wing circles was leading one of the most lax responses to COVID in the nation. Oh, that's right. In in Florida. And for a while, he was really hailed as a success because uh, Florida, for a while, seemed to be doing a lot better than a lot of other states. Now, that has changed. Mm. Uh, Florida is now in the lower half of the table 
when it comes to things like deaths. But for a while, it seemed that DeSantis was showing this alternative path of having a really mm. fairly minimal um, response to COVID. Now, the fact that it changed and it was shown to, in objective terms, be a failure, that didn't affect DeSantis's popularity at all. What people liked was that he had you know, stood up to uh, stood up to the Fauci's of the world defiantly. Um, and so, yeah, then he became very, I mean, it, as as Ross Duthat, who's a New York Times columnist, put it, it said he's he's been out in front of every issue that conservative culture warriors care about. So especially when it comes to schools. Okay, now schools are very important in the American culture wars, not just because it's about, educating children and, you know, controlling children's minds or whatever, um, it's because school board elections are such an important springboard to local political power mm. in America. So um, school, there are 13,000 school boards in America. All of them are democratically elected, usually in elections with very low turnout, like 10% uh, or less. And when somebody organises political campaign and can you know get a bit of turnout this is that they can get into power in school boards and they can do things in school boards and so school boards are basically springboards for a lot of right-wing activists to actually get into uh politics in the first place and there's been this uh very popular idea on the right which is, has some resonance outside the right that um, public school teachers are out of control, that they're way to the left of the American population and that they're indoctrinating children. And the two kinds of pillars of this have been uh, critical race, the supposed prevalence of critical race theory in schools, and the other is supposed um, radical sex education uh, in, in schools. Now, DeSantis picked up on the basic Trump technique of what you've got to do is just take this way further than anyone else. Mm. Take it way beyond the, the bounds of decency. <laughs> and so where DeSantis took this, uh, where his administration took this, was to accuse his opponents of being pedophile groomers, essentially. Oh, wow, that's, that if, wow. That if, that's very QAnon you, of him. Yeah, yeah, that if you want to talk to children about LGBTQ sexuality, then that must be because you're trying to uh, recruit them mm. and you're trying to sexualize them. So the term groomer uh, has become this uh, slur, which has been leveled at anybody who, uh, you know, who, who thinks that um, we should actually be talking to children about not not necessarily even about sex or sexuality, but about the fact that there are family structures uh, that are not necessarily your traditional uh, heterosexual family. And this is what a lot of people in Florida and other states where this is taking hold worry about is that it is, um, you, you know, okay, you don't need to, to teach five-year-old children about sex, but they do need to be aware that there are different types of families in, uh, in America. And that this kind of legislation stops even that. Mm. So it's, yeah, so so it's basically taking these campaigns as far as possible. I think a, another piece of DeSantis uh, legislation, which is pretty memorable, was that he passed legislation saying that if a car um, struck a protester 
on a public highway, then the driver of the car wouldn't be liable uh, to, oh, be, wow. to be sued. So, yeah, basically sort of licensing people to uh, to run over protesters. So he's just very, very attuned to the sharp edge of the mm. culture wars. And he even took um, on Disney, didn't he? I remember him because Disney yeah, yeah. Um, belatedly, I think, supported uh, their LGBTQI employees and so on and yes. condemned the law. And so he just took on Disney, which is pretty ballsy in Florida, given that they're the biggest employer in the state. Yeah, yeah. And this is another thing that we've been seeing on the right over the last couple of years. It's realising that there's political mileage in attacking corporations, which, of course, is something that the left has known about for centuries, uh, but the, the right has just discovered. And so, yeah, there's all of these attacks on so-called woke capital, uh, you know, and that's becoming, uh, an, yeah, an increasing thing uh, on the right. I don't know how long that's going to keep up, but certainly it is the flavour of the month uh, mm. at the moment on the right. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if Elsa endorses the Democrats next time, that could be very hard for DeSantis to... <laughs> <laughs> Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Chaser Report. Less news, less often. So that's the right side. Mm. I guess the next question then mm. is what about the Democrats? Because I read a really interesting op-ed piece in the uh, Washington Post this week by, by a Democrat who's in his 80s, I can't remember his name, but saying, mm. Biden, you've got to call it one term. This is ridiculous. Mm. Just don't do it. Have a great last few years and, and leave with dignity. No one wants to elect you at the age of 82, yeah. mate. And if not him, firstly, do you think he's going to actually run again? And then if not him, who? I find it very hard to imagine Biden actually choosing not to run again, uh, given how long he's been in politics, how long he was preparing for the moment of becoming president. Mm, well, 82 I, years, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's... When you look at circumstances under which people voluntarily give up the presidency, the last one I can think of is Lyndon Johnson at the height of the Vietnam War, when it wasn't just what you have now, which is opinion polls suggesting that Democrats don't want you to run again. It was the Democratic National Convention being besieged by protesters and, you know, beaten up and thrown into Lake Michigan by Chicago cops. It was like it, it was close to a state of civil war within the Democratic Party. Um, in, yeah, so I, it's going to be very hard to persuade Biden to step down. But certainly when you look at this picture of, yeah, Biden's going to be 82, uh, Trump is going to be 80 or 81, um, Nancy Pelosi's uh, in her 80s, uh, this, the sort of gerontocracy um, of people who have been around for so long and who now really just don't seem to have the ability to deal with the country's problems. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see why people... Uh, are frustrated. And certainly whenever someone asks the survey 
you know, the survey question in the form of um, would you prefer not to see either Biden or Trump? People are increasingly leaping at that uh, mm. as an option. Like, you know, just enough. We've now had um, four baby boomer presidents. Okay, so starting with Clinton. And it's it's a little bit hard to imagine maybe the, the mental world of uh, of more than th- uh, of 30 years ago um when clinton was running even though we can all we're all just old enough to remember it but clinton then was seen as young right he was one of the youngest presidential yeah. candidates in history and a lot of older americans saw him as everything that was wrong with this young baby boom uh generation mm. um so we had him followed by george w bush Okay, so followed by Barack Obama, so he's Generation X. Then we get one of the most remarkable events in American political history, which is the first time, I think, that the presidency ever went backwards by a generation. It went back to the baby boomers Mm. under Trump, and now it's gone to another uh, baby boomer with uh, with Biden. This makes me think Hillary's going to run, David. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Um, I think because of the fact that age is not a traditional political cleavage, like it's not something around which all people organise their political identities in America or Australia or anywhere else, um, it's often hard to see the political power of age. It's often hard to see actually the reality of intergenerational conflict, even though uh, it is, you know, it is all around us. And um, we we see it in Australia. Like, this is not to say that uh, everybody in every age court, cohort shares the same um, political interests, but it is certainly true that certain asset classes, including property and shares, are concentrated within certain uh, age brackets. And As so we discuss on every episode of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so economic policies that have winners and losers, if the winners are people who are holders of those um, asset classes, there effectively is intergenerational political conflict going on. But because the fact that we don't organise politics around intergenerational conflict, I think that this rule of this extended rule of baby boomers in the US is leading to immense amounts of often inarticulate frustration. Mm. Um, the sense that, of course, nothing is ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to get uh, get solved because we've had the same ruling class for the last 30 years. Mm. And, uh, you know, the solution to that is not another term um, of someone from that ruling class. But, of course, members of that cohort are never going to be able to see that. Mm. Um, you know, as far as as far as they see it, they're the generation that ushered in all of the great social uh, revolutions. They're the generation that has accumulated all of this wisdom. And they're the generation that represents uh, what is still the most electorally important slice of the population, uh, which is old people. So it's going to be very difficult mm. to actually rest power from the hands uh, of of that generation. And, and not least because the DNC has all these undemocratic superdelegates and things like that. And, and my yeah. understanding is Joe Biden's already started tightening the rules around them and, and doing all the stuff that Hillary Clinton did back in 2016 or 2015 yeah, yeah. That, that sort of essentially assures him, like it, it's sort of a non-democratic, democratic primary next time around, isn't it? Uh, it's it's going to be, um, 
it's going to be less democratic, yeah. yeah. And look, I just I just want to clarify a few things. I'm I'm not saying that generation is bad. Uh, let's you know we let's have get though the we've, we've commented on that <laughs> extensively. And also, you know, also a lot of people in that generation have been as economically screwed as everybody else mm. um, by by the post Cold War world and the way that it's um, uh, and the way that its economy mm. works. Um, but what I what I am saying is that there is a massive sense of frustration mm. uh, with with that generation that is not always very well articulated. Um, but which is definitely there. Sounds like an opportunity for AOC, though, who will just have turned 35 by the time um, yeah. election happens. Or it probably feels too soon. Look, her, I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that she is going to run for president at some point. I do think, though, that she's a very astute politician, and I'm not sure that. I, I think there are going to be. Um, Oh, you know, there are always a lot of people who are tempted to jump in far too early uh, or at the wrong time. I don't think that's going to be her, but I don't, you know, um, I don't know. I think she's got a very long career in front of her. Yeah, 50 um, years apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot that she can do from the kind of perch that she has, uh, that, that she's gained because um, she's she is so good at both traditional and and uh, and social media, and because she's got a much fresher message than a lot of what the rest of her party is offering, um, she doesn't need to to jump into a presidential race, uh, mm. you know, straight away. She she can bide her time and wait for the right opportunity. And how will the Roe v Wade stuff and all the stuff that's coming through on the Supreme Court affect mm. the Democrats? vote do you think actually it will mobilize democrats in a way that just hasn't happened and actually means that and i'm not so much talking about the midterms but like yeah yeah is it the i mean it's sort of astounding to think that someone as mediocre as joe biden might just end up Mm. being elected again but don't you think there's a sort of real chance that just all the Supreme Court stuff means that people will be mobilised. It's the best the chance Democrat the Democrats side. have. Is I'm just yeah. reminded of the yeah, whole is. work choices thing, where when you when you give one side of, of power, when you give one side of politics yeah. the thing that they most want, mm. it tends to push, push yeah. them too far, and then there's a backlash in the centre. But mm. is this really going to? Yeah. Are people going to have Roe v. Wade at the top of their minds when they vote in November? There has been a discernible shift in the polls. Um, it's gone from very very clear. Republican margins, like even Republican advantages in party identity, which is something that you very rarely see in the US. It's gone from that to there was a New York Times Siena poll showing a dead heat in the generic congressional ballot, which we haven't seen for two years. Um, there's certainly been a major shift. Now, whether that's a big enough shift to save the Democrats at the midterm um, is another question. Mm. We might get an early test of this when there is a, a referendum in Kansas on a, on the state constitution. I think that's next week because uh, two years ago the state Supreme Court or three years ago the state Supreme Court held that there is an actual right to abortion within the Kansas constitution. And as more and more states around Kansas have been banning abortion, more and more abortions have been happening in Kansas because people have been coming from places like Oklahoma and uh, and Missouri to get abortions done. Um, 
So there's going to be a referendum on the state constitution. Given Kansas's political makeup, which is very Republican dominant, you would expect the the, the uh, you would expect the pro um, sorry the anti-abortion side to actually win that. Mm. Um, but once again, the polling there suggests it might be a bit uh, a bit closer than it looks. Certainly, this issue isn't just going to recede from people's minds because it's over the next few weeks and months that we're actually going to get state legislatures bringing in new legislation that either bans abortion in a lot of places or completely restricts it. And we're going to see more and more things like what we saw in Ohio, the case of a 10-year-old girl being forced to go to Indiana uh, to get an abortion after a rape. So I think, um, it, yeah, it is going to have a mobilising effect um, certainly for Democratic activists who might have just felt like giving up uh, because Biden has been such a disappointment. I think that will uh, mm. that will reignite them. Um, but what electoral effect it actually has in 2022, I really don't know. I've heard some people arguing it's not going to have much of an effect in 2022, but it could have a big effect in uh, in 2024. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, there are, some, you know, I was reading today the Texas gubernatorial race now looks a lot closer. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, that. Beto O'Rourke um, seems to be using this the Roe v. Wade issue to, to really mobilise people. So... Turning the clock yeah, massively back seems to not be a complete given, even though the Supreme Court's had a really extraordinary few months of trying to do exactly yeah. that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, all, all of this stuff, um, it does help Democrats electorally. Whether that's enough, though, given mm. the headwinds of inflation, possible recession and, uh, you know, Biden's unpopularity even with his own side. Mm. Um, I, I don't know whether it's going to be enough to actually save the Democratic the Party. The man has spent yeah. his entire life working for decades to get this job and two years in it's an absolute screaming disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his, his first hundred days was pretty good. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's when he should have stepped down. <laughs> I'm done. hundred um, days. Biden out. Here's Kamala isn't, Harris. Isn't, isn't part of the problem, though, that Kamala Harris is also a bit of an idiot? Kamala Harris is very difficult to assess because she has been pretty much invisible. Yeah, she's been put um, in the box. But have you seen all those clips going around of her just saying, like, Veep-style comments? And she is the Veep, where yeah. she sort of says the same thing looping around several times what? using the same words. Let's have a listen to that. It's especially true when it comes to the climate crisis, which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together on to galvanize global action. With that, I thank you all. This is a matter of urgent priority for all of us, and I know we will work on this together. Although that said, if she can channel J Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she might be very popular. <laughs> what I'm getting from this is there are lots of uncertainties, but we may have seen the end of Donald Trump um, in the next presidential race, and that, that would be something. Pros prospects are not looking good for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Mm. And their disappearance would be something 
that many, many Americans would welcome. Yes, yes. Imagine that. And it can happen. It's happened here. It's happened in the UK. It could happen in America. Yeah, yeah. And let's just hope that let every boomer around the world just gets the message and is just like, yeah. okay, we're done. Yeah. Let's hand over our houses. Mind you, I was um, I was looking at the demographic statistics and basically 100% of people in America are over the age of 65. It's an amazing, like, it's just most people are over 65 there. It's, they've got this massively huge constituency and they vote as well even yeah. after a million well that's the, that's the thing it's it's not just the fact that there are a lot of people over the age of 65 it's that they vote in disproportionately high numbers mm. um and th- you know this is another reason why that generation doesn't uh doesn't want to let go of power yeah um so yeah no and it is you know it's an aging society um, it is exhibiting all the kinds of problems that uh, that ageing societies have. Um, even though one of the Trump administration's big moves was actually to massively cut down legal immig- immigration. This is one of the sort of not exactly untold stories, but less told stories of the Trump administration was even though it was the attacks on illegal immigration that got all of the press. It was actually just the, the number of uh, visas that just got completely cut mm. um, meant that legal immigration to the United States was more than halved. Which is very surprising for a president who's married two migrants to America. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe models got so, special and, and whose And whose mother was a migrant to uh, America and whose grandfather mm. was, uh, was also a, a migrant to America. But without dwelling on the kind of hypocrisy of it, you don't have to essentially suspend immigration for very long in a place like the US before you start to get major economic problems as a result, as we've seen in Australia mm. when immigration was effectively suspended uh, as a result of um, uh, COVID and we're seeing the economic blowback um, from that now. So, um, yeah, there are the... the there are a lot of long-term problems that the US is facing that it doesn't really have any kind of political solutions. Well, that's a, a lovely note to leave it on. We're admittedly <laughs> we're we're ninety minutes short of an episode of your podcast, Dave. But um, thank you very yep. much for that. That's that's really fascinating. And God, day by day, the pieces shift, and, and who knows where they'll end. But if if Donald Trump doesn't run again, I think that at least counts as some kind of progress, doesn't it? Oh, I'm not saying he won't run again. Mm. Oh, running and losing. <laughs> it's rigged. That'd be great. The primary's oh, rigged. That'd be the best. DeSantis has rigged it. Yeah. Uh, his gravestone's going to have the word rigged on it. Yeah. I can just tell. There you go. Thanks very much, David Smith. Um, And subscribe My to pleasure. Pep with uh, Chaz and Dr. Dave if you want 100 hours more of this sort of content, <laughs> um, which you probably do if you've lasted this long. Our gear is from Rode. We're part of the ACAST Creator Network. We'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.